Amen. If you would bow your heads. Father God, how thankful we are. And Father Lord, we just shout to you. Father, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, the Bible, that Father, who from beginning to end tells us who you are, what your nature is like. And Father, we can stand on the authority of your infallible word. And Father, we thank you that your word leads up to the death of your son on the cross for our salvation, showing us that there is a need. And then, Father, it talks about your return coming back for us. Father, thank you for the awesome and the precious gift of your word. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and open them to the book of Acts chapter 11, we'll pick up in verse 19 as we've been making our way over the last year or so at different times through the book of Acts. We've seen how it's been growing and, and building, and now we see where the church is spreading and today, as I want us to be looking at the beginning of the, the church in Antioch as it has spread out and the Gentiles up there and the Greeks are being ministered to. And that's what we need to understand in a moment when we look at our passengers, two main churches that we're looking at is all part of the church, the body of Jesus Christ. But we have the church in Jerusalem, which would be where it uh, all began at. That would be your Aramaic speaking, your Jewish Christians. And we're also going to be looking at the church at Antioch, which would be the Greek speaking Jews that were there. And they were brought to this area after there was a little squabble, so to speak, and we'll talk about, you remember, with Stephen being martyred and these Greeks were sent out uh, believers and fleeing for the safety of their lives and they made their way up uh, and some of them all the way to Antioch. Now what we got to understand looking at this as we go in to look at the church of Antioch, let me give you a little bit of history about it. Uh, if you're like me, sometimes it helps to know what exactly was going on. What was this church? We've heard about it all of our lives of Antioch, but let's just take a little bit of history lesson maybe about that. And Antioch was actually, believe it or not, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. The only two greater was Rome itself and the city of Alexandria. Antioch had some 500,000, a half a million to 800,000 people that resided within this town of Antioch. There's a lot of people there. And Antioch was named after its founder's father, Antiochus. But the main street, I found this very interesting, the main street, this Antioch was so large and had so much going on, and we would probably say so much wealth, the main street through Antioch was four miles long. That don't sound like a whole bunch for some major cities, but for some, it's quite large. But here it is. That four miles was lined with marble. It was a marble street going down on both sides were marble colonnades all the way down through this city. But of course, when you get all kinds of people to coming together, this would be like a, a port city. We might kind of say like New Orleans. There's a lot of different people that come in. It's set about 15 miles or so off of the sea, and there was a river that come up to it. But with that, you get all kinds of people coming together. 
And this town of Antioch was known for its immorality. Does that kind of shock you? It seems most of the cities we study have something going on in it. But it was known for its immorality and it was known for its worship of the Assyrian goddess, goddess Astarte. I probably mispronounced that. But in which they did sacred prostitution played a major role in that religion. I have yet in my understanding to understand sacred and prostitution in the same words. But that was part of that religion that was there. It was also very busy with all that was coming and going. But you know what that does is it makes it a center hub for evangelism. You know, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary was put into New Orleans after a lot of debate and deciding because they figured that would be a perfect place for evangelism. It was a mission field right in the middle of the United States where people from all over the world would come. And I kind of see Antioch like that, being this city there on the edge of the river with a major port and all of these people. What a better place for a church to be started Let's take a look there, your Bibles, uh, chapter 11 of Acts. And let me just read to you a portion of this, if you would stand in honor of God's Word. As we look at the forming of the church, the first thing I want us to see, the forming of the church, Acts 11, beginning in verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and to Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believe turn to the Lord. Father God, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. And Father, you would open our hearts to hear your message this morning. Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. We begin by seeing after you're seated there that this group in Antioch was there because of the the separation, the scattering out. I think we have a map, if I'm not too far out of line here, that kind of shows what happened. If you see at the very bottom of your map, you have Jerusalem and Judea, which would be where Stephen had been murdered. And scripture tells us that they begin making their way up to Samaria. And you see Phoenicia kind of on the side. And as we come up, all the way to Antioch. Some of them made their way all the way up to Antioch. That's where it is, so you can have a picture in your mind in relationship to Jerusalem. And this persecution was done because they were scared. You know, when Stephen was stoned and they were out after the Christians, as most people would do, they grabbed their bags and said, let's run for our lives. And they began making their way up because they were scared and uh, what I want you to notice, I found very interesting there in the verse, is it said that of, as we look over into Acts 8, verse 1, we hear about this, and it says that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That was Saul was there agreeing to put Stephen to get death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. 
and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The apostles stayed in. So as we begin seeing these different churches that are coming to be as this group was scattered, and this group up in Antioch, we've got to understand it wasn't the apostles that were doing it. It was these believers who had been scattered out. It would be as we might would call some today lay people. It wasn't necessarily the preachers that went out and did it. It was the church that got dispersed that began other churches. Sometimes we look at uh, hurricanes that come in. Uh, we talked about uh, Katrina and Rita one time and how when that came in and that hit the New Orleans area, many from the seminary and many other churches in that area got dispersed all around to uh, Texas and states all around and the gospel got dispersed with it. There were people that were able to reach other people that they had never been able to reach. As we read that many of them went to those other towns and so often, and I'll be the first one to agree, I don't like persecution. I don't like hard times. I don't like difficulties. But oftentimes we see that's when God's word spreads. That's when the power of God comes in and we see him move in a mighty way as his people get dispersed out. But if you notice there in that verse back there at chapter 11, uh, at the verse 21, it tells us that the hand of the Lord was at work. It said, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So this scattered group is up there and God is the one at work. I know we know that. I want to remind you that we are instruments of God's work, but it's not us that does the saving. It's not us that does the work. It's the hand of the Lord. The Lord sent his son to die on the cross. The Lord resurrected his son from the grave. The Lord is the one that does the calling. The Lord is the one that had sent the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord's work. And we see that as the church was beginning in Antioch, it was at the hand of the Lord. But we also see from Scripture that we're looking at today that the, uh, the endorsement of the church we look at Jerusalem, and we might say we would call that the mother church, uh, for a lack of terms, the, the church where the apostles were at. It's the church that began under the direct influence of Jesus Christ himself. So they're kind of where it started at, and then it begins broadening out. Just like if you take a a stone. Many of you have done this as a children and you throw it in the river or you throw it in the pond and you begin to see a little ripple and a bigger ripple and it just goes out and out. Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem would be where the little pebble is landed in the water and then each of these ripples are churches that are forming out of that. Let's look there at verse 22. It says, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with the resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. The church in Jerusalem would have been the one sending out, watching over 
It's important because sometimes we need someone to watch over. We need someone to make sure things that are happening correctly. So we've noticed all throughout Scripture that at different times the Jerusalem church would send others out. We would maybe call that the supervision of the church of Jerusalem, some would say, but it was also the endorsement of that church. If you remember a while back in chapter 8 when we talked about Peter and John, when they went to Samaria, when they were there, guess what happened? The church in Jerusalem sent some there to check it out, to make sure it was what was being said and to encourage them. In chapter 11, we read last week about Peter and Cornelius and the church sent some there to find out or was reported back to them about what was going on. And in 15, Paul and Barnabas reported back to the church of Jerusalem. And each time these reports were brought back, it brought encouragement and it brought endorsement. You remember last week they were kind of questioning why Paul was speaking to the Gentiles. But when they heard the proof that they rejoiced with them. So we see that the endorsement of this church in Antioch is also coming from the church in Jerusalem. Basically, we would call it today giving the stamp of approval. And they did this partially by sending Barnabas. But I want you to notice something different. All the other times where we see the church in Jerusalem sending out someone, they would send out an apostle. But if you read through the list of apostles, you won't find Barnabas' name there. The church didn't send an apostle this time. They sent Barnabas, but you know they sent the right man for the job. The church in Antioch needed some encouragement. Do you know what Barnabas' name stands for or what he's known as but the son of encouragement? Not only that, Barnabas was from the area. He was a a native of Cyprus right there close to it. And Barnabas would have fluently spoken the language of the town he was going to. So, yeah, they probably could have sent, as we would say, a, a highfalutin apostle up there to check on it. But he might not have had the same impact that Barnabas did. God knew what he was doing. God's work was on him. He chose the son of encouragement and he sent him to go and to be there and to strengthen them. And you know what Barnabas did? He was also known as a bridge builder. He was able to come together as one and to see the positive side of things. Have you ever known that person that it really doesn't matter what situation that you put them in? They see the positive side of it, and they're able to bring some encouragement. You know, all churches need a Barnabas in them, someone that can see the positive regardless of what's going on, bridge the gaps together, and help that church move on, able to mediate between two different ideas. And oftentimes, we like to choose the idea that's not the most positive one. I don't know what it is about us. I guess it's the flesh. You know, you can take a a crowd of people positive and you can take one negative person for long, everyone in the group's negative. It's just the way we tend to. But God knew that with all that was going on in this large city, this city of Antioch, that he sent the right man, Barnabas, to the job. And when that happened, the strength of the church in Antioch took off. 
Verse 23 there says that when they arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain in the Lord. Your King James Version says that who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with the purpose that they would cleave unto the Lord. If you look over into the gospel according to Matthew, you hear he talks about you cannot serve two masters. A very familiar time, uh, maybe it even popped into your head when you heard that word cleave. You think about a wedding. Over in Genesis, it tells us that in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They come together, one flesh. This word to cleave, uh, talking about cleaving to Jesus, is that he is devoted to Christ. He's the only one. A gentleman named Warren Wisby, I think I got his picture up there on the screen. He put it this way, it means that we belong to him alone and that we cultivate our devotion to him. Barnabas encouraged them to cleave to the Father, cleave to the Lord. Let him be the only one. Let him be your main one. And do you know what happened when they did that? Our third point, the increase of the church. It began to multiply and it began to build. Acts 11 tells us at verse 25, and he, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It was growing Barnabas knew it was beyond what he could do. He needed help, so he sent for Saul. We might call him Paul. I was reading on that, and just to kind of refresh your memory, because when you see in Scripture, sometimes you see Saul, sometimes you see Paul. I mean, what a person to be sending to, to these who scattered in fear of their life when Saul was there agreeing to put Stephen to death, and now he's going to go get him for help. Saul would have been his Jewish name. Those Jewish people would have called him by Saul, but his Greek name would be Paul. So Saul or Paul, depending upon who you were talking to, but he had that conversion on that road to Damascus. And not only that, when we saw that map just a little bit ago, David, can you go back to that? I know I'm jumping way up there on you. But if you notice at the top right over here, we have Antioch. Let's see if I can... You have Antioch right here, and he went to find Paul right there in Tarsus. After Paul had been brought before the group for speaking for the Jews, he went to his home. They believe it's been now some 10 years, and he had to go looking for him. He had to find him because he was out about the work. But what better way than God to have him right there close to where they needed? How God works. So often we see God working in advance. Thank you. For that, as we look there and we see that it began to grow, Barnabas went for help, and Paul returned with him and spent a year there with them. 
Can you imagine what was happening in that church that the great apostle Paul and Barnabas would stay there a year and teaching them and pouring into them? But then that word, there it is. Did you hear it when I said at the end of verse 26 and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch? You know, we throw that word around a lot today, Christians. Many people will say, I'm a Christian. They've never had a conversion experience in their life. A lot of people just think that's the thing to do. You ask them, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. You know, I've done that a few times here in the past couple of years. I'd ask someone if they were a Christian, and they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. And then I'd begin to ask them the question, well, have you ever heard about how God created a perfect world? And that sin entered into the world and that God sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be restored and raised from the grave. And you know what they say? I've never heard that. Well, I don't know how they think they're a Christian if they've never heard the gospel message. But what we need to understand is this word Christian is is quite a big word. But do you know that it's only used three times in the entire New Testament. And each time that you see that, well, let's just take a look. We, we see right here at, at verse 26, and it said, a number and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Over in Acts 26 and verse 28, we hear it again. Agrippa replied to Saul in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And over in 1 Peter 4.16, it says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. You know, the believers are not the ones that call themselves Christians. A Christian was a name given to them by people outside the church. If you read and you see the church talking about itself, we'll hear the word believers, followers of Christ. In some aspects, Christian was used in that day and time as a negative term. But what does it mean? We, we use it so often. It's actually derived of two parts. The first word is a Greek word called Christos, which sounds exactly what it is, Christ. You, you see that in the name there, Christian, you see Christ first. But the second part of the ending is a Latin ending, which means belonging to or identified. So this term came about to identify people who followed Christ or people whose lifestyle identified them being with Christ. While they might have used it as a derogatory comment, I say, wow. Because their lives so showed that they were Christ followers that people called them Christians. Does your life show that example that you are a Christ follower? Does your life identify yourself as being identified with Christ? What a lifestyle they must have had. And to bring all of that together, their lifestyle of being a Christian, I believe, in these next few verses lined up exactly with the unity of the church. You know, the church of Jesus Christ as a whole should be unified. 
We should come to together as a church. Look there, starting in verse 27. It said, now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there were certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judah. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. This prophet named Agabus came from Jerusalem. You know, he also shows up later in Acts 21 when he shows up and begins to foretell about Paul's arrest. Let's look real quick there at that in verse chapter 21, verse 10. It says, as we're staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judah and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So twice we see Agabus forth telling something. Here he's come foretelling about a famine that's coming. And so that we know that it happened, Luke included it in the gospel when he said it happened and he told us when it happened. It happened there in the reign of Claudius. But because the church was unified, they wasn't out just for themselves as individuals or individual churches. They took up an offering. There was going to be a great famine coming. And you know, when famine comes, guess what? There's no food. So you're going to have to buy food. If there's no food, you can't sell it to make money. So they took up an offering and they basically sent it back to the home church back into Judea so that it could be overseen and could be dispersed as needed. Their thoughts were not about them. They were thinking about other people. You know, there's times in the church that individuals need help. I am thankful somewhat uh, of our government that likes to step in and help people. But do you know it's not the government's job to help other believers? It's the church's job first. We're to come together when there's a true need and we should be willing to help our brother and sister in Christ in need. We show our love for them. We show the love of Jesus Christ in as we help them. And this offering would have helped in the time the church unified, they came together to help each other. You know, the church grew because of persecution. Remember I said at the beginning, I'm the first one that in my flesh doesn't like persecution. But when persecution comes, we need to be looking to see what the Lord is doing because the Lord works through persecution all churches need a Barnabas. We need someone within the church. We need multiple Barnabases, I believe, in the church that can come together and make peacemaker. You know, I am so blessed that as a whole, we have peace at Mount Olivet. I have been in churches, and you have heard of churches that are not that way. There's always seemed to be some kind of rickamarole going on, some kind of tension within that church 
They need a Barnabas, one that can come in and be a, a peacemaker. You know that peacemakers not out looking for their own glory, but for the best interest of others. And you know that the church, when they become devoted to God, they began to increase. And when that happened, the unity came in and the church took care of itself. Amen. What a church. I believe as a whole, Mount Olivet fits right in there. But you know, if we're not careful, we can stray away from that. So I want to encourage you. When persecution comes in your life, first thing, run to the Father. Seek Him. Look at what's happening around. Maybe you need to find you a Barnabas. You know a peacemaker. In church, we need to come together. We need to love each other. We need to take care of each other. And as that happened, we see this church in Antioch being a power church, I would say, in its day because Paul, the missionary, was sent out from this church in Antioch. May we be a church that sends out people. Amen. May you bow your heads.